attributed to love. Love is a condition so powerful. It may be that which holds the stars in the firmament. It may be that which pushes and urges the blood in the veins. Courage, you have to have courage to love somebody because you risk everything, everything. Good morning, church. Good morning and welcome to Riverside and welcome to our house. We are so glad that you are here today and it's a, it's a great day to be here. I hope you are as encouraged as I am uh, to, be, to be here and to be a part of this church. Those of you who are, who are part of this faith family, if you're not, if you're looking for a faith family, I would love to tell you. We would love nothing more than for you to, to become a part of what God is doing in our house. And God is doing a lot in our house. I hope you had a chance to download that digital download of the annual report to see just all the ways God is moving in and among our, our faith family here at Riverside. It truly is amazing. And then to hear Doug share about our plans for this year and our budget and our budget surplus from last year of 121000 Man, can we give God some praise for that? Yes, man. And we, and we praise him just because that's evidence of a spirit of uncommon generosity that's rising in our hearts that reflects the generosity of our Father in heaven. And, and I'm just so grateful to belong to a church, to be a part of the faith family um, that has that. Uh, not, every, not every place has that. And so uh, I don't say it often enough, but I hope you know how grateful I am uh, to be your preacher, uh, how blessed I feel that I get to stand here every Sunday, week in, week out. And I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm far from it. Uh, you're so gracious to allow me to do this, but thank you for allowing me the chance, the opportunity to, to bring a word that I, I hope is from God, uh, from my heart to your heart. It, it is a blessing, and it is a special time in the life of this church. You probably know this, Valentine's Day is four days away, uh, so public service announcement for all of you men that, who may have not remembered that, it's coming. Thursday's the day. Uh, don't buy her a vacuum cleaner. Um, Alicia and I have been married for 20 years, almost. It'll be 20 years this year. I think the reason for that is because I've yet to buy her a vacuum on Valentine's Day. Uh, even if you had your eye on that robotic vacuum with an app that comes with it, don't do it. Give her that on Wednesday. Give it to her on Friday, not on Thursday. Thursday, it's flowers, it's chocolate, it's jewelry. That's the recipe for success, okay? Um, you know, we're talking about loving different, and I feel like if we can't get, you know, loving different, loving our spouses different on Valentine's Day, we don't have a shot anywhere else. So make sure Thursday you get it right. We got to learn to love different. Uh, that, that's what we're talking about. We want to keep talking about that. I hope, I hope the breath prayer has been encouraging to you, maybe challenging to you. Just show of hands, how many of you have tried the breath prayer this past week? Anybody been doing that yet? I put it, I left my phone in there. I put it on my lock screen so I see it every time I get a, a call or a text. If I'm just checking my phone like a hundred times a day, I see this breath prayer and I pray this breath prayer. Lord, help me love who you love, the way you love. And that's a really, it sounds nice, doesn't it? It's a really hard prayer to pray. It's a really hard prayer to live out. But I think it's so good for us to live into this practice of trying to love people even those people that are hard to love, even those people that irritate us, to love them the way God loves them, uh, for us to live into that practice. I think uh, Maya Angelou got it right. Uh, writer, prolific speaker, um, actress, uh, civil rights activist, so much that this woman has done. And I think she said it so well. Love is a condition so powerful. It may be that which holds the stars in the firmament. 
It may be that which pushes and urges the blood in the veins, courage. You have to have courage to love somebody because you risk everything, everything. I think, I think she is grasping for words to help define the same kind of love that we're trying to get our arms around. What does this love look like? This love of God. What, what does it mean to love different? You know, last week we said, and I think this is true, that love plus power, power plus love, that makes an eternal difference. And we know what power looks like. We see power all around us on display. We know what power looks like. But what does love look like? It it reminded me of this story. I I saw it again this past week. You've probably heard this story. It's a story about the guy, the young young man. He'd gotten himself into a lot of debt, debt up over his head. Um, So much debt he wasn't sure how he was going to be able to if he was going to be able to ever pay it back. Some of you know what that's like. I still remember the day that Alicia and I paid off our student loans and became debt-free, and it was like a game-changer, and it was a game-changer for us and our family. When you're in that much debt, it's hard to know what's going to happen next. And this guy had, had debt. His family had debt. It was from, from credit cards. It was from medical bills and all kinds of things, and he wasn't sure what was going to happen next. And, and, and the tension kind of grew because now the debt collectors were calling, and they were demanding payment. And so now he's worried about, are they going to foreclose in our house? Are we going to be able to feed our family and take care of our kids? Uh, the pressure was real, and the stress was real. A friend of his knew his situation, and he set up a meeting between this young man and, and a friend of his, a business colleague who happened to be in town, and they met over at Starbucks and got coffee. The young man shared a story, and the friend of the friend, the businessman who was in town, was so touched by his story and so impressed with the young man that a few days later, he made a decision to do something that was an act of uncommon generosity. The young man found out when a week later he got a phone call that his debt had been completely paid off. Completely. And it was the unthinkable. It was the unimaginable. It was more than he could have ever asked for, dreamed, or imagined. He'd walked away from Starbucks not knowing if, if really anything was going to happen, not really with any expectation. I mean, a loan with, with a payment plan that, that they could do might, would, would have been unbelievable. Or, or maybe just to float them a little cash to get the debt collectors off their backs. That would have been amazing. But now to find out that this, that this fellow who he had just met decided to pay off his entire debt, it just blew him away. But, of course, that wasn't the end of the story. A few weeks went by, and this young man happened to be at a, at a restaurant one night with some buddies. And he bumped into a colleague from work, and a few weeks ago they had made a friendly wage, and, and, and this guy owed him 50 bucks. And, and he said, hey, hey, can I, can I get my 50 bucks? And the guy said, I, I don't have it. I don't know when I'm going to have it. Things are tight. And this guy, this young man who, who, who had just had this incredible thing done for him, made this huge scene in the restaurant yelling at this guy and just screaming at him. And it was embarrassing. And wouldn't you know that the businessman who had just helped him a few months earlier was back in town for business at that same restaurant. And you can just imagine how it made him feel. To see this guy who he had completely paid off his entire debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars, to see him make a scene in a restaurant over 50 bucks. Some of you know this, this really isn't my story. This is a version of a story Jesus once told. And Jesus ended his story this way. He said, I forgave that tremendous debt. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. 
Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? You see, I think the reason that so many of us struggle to love others is because of this. We've forgotten. We have honestly forgotten just how much we have been forgiven. We have forgotten how much we have been loved. And because we don't live with the awareness, because we don't live with the weight, because we don't live with the knowledge in front of us of just how much God has loved us, of just how much we ourselves have been forgiven, we struggle to love other people. We struggle to love those who are, who are different than us. We struggle to love those who think different than us. And you say, how do I know, how do I know that, I, that, 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 that you struggle with that? Because I see your social media feed like everybody else. We struggle. We struggle to, to love people who are from different places. We struggle to love people who, who have a different value system or who have a different lifestyle. We struggle to, live with, to, to love people who have a, a different view than us. We struggle. And I think the reason we struggle is because we have forgotten just how much we have been loved. And because we don't live with that awareness of how much God has loved us, Jesus has forgiven us, it makes it really hard for us to love other people around us. And I think this is precisely why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. If you're here last week, you know that this, this month for this series, as we talk about what it means to love different, we're going to plant both feet into 1 Corinthians 13. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, you can go ahead and open there. 1 Corinthians 13, maybe, maybe the, the most famous text ever written about love. Everybody in the world probably has seen this text or come across this text or heard part of this text about love. And I think the reason Paul wrote this was because he knew the biggest problem in the church in Corinth wasn't the debate over who's right and who's wrong. It wasn't the struggle over who has what power or what ability or what spiritual gift. It was because they had forgotten to love each other. But Paul could never forget how much he had been loved. Paul lived every single day. The author of this letter, the author of this text, lived every single day with full awareness of just how much God had done for him. Paul was there the day that Stephen died. Stephen was the first follower of Jesus killed because he was a follower of Jesus. Stephen was the first Christian martyr, we call him. And Paul was there that day. He was the young man standing over on the side, holding the garments of the other men who were taking the stones and throwing them at Stephen and literally stoning him until he died. Paul was there that day. And then Paul took it upon himself to make it his personal mission to go and to either capture, lock up, imprison, or kill every other follower of Jesus, trying to stamp out this new religion before it took root. And he was being successful. Persecution of the church was real, and it was because of Paul's passion to stamp out this movement called the way, this movement of people who were following this man called Jesus from Nazareth. Paul made a decision. He was going to take it upon himself to eradicate this new religion so that, so that the true religion of the Jewish people could remain eternal. And so we got letters from the officials, and, and, and he went over to different towns and villages and cities, going around, locking up, imprisoning, and even killing other Christians. And he was on his way to a city called Damascus, when all of a sudden, the trajectory of his entire life changed. It was on that road that he was blinded 
by a great light. And he literally had an encounter with Jesus himself. Paul was led onto Damascus. And it was in that city where he was healed from his blindness. And he gave his life to Jesus. And the man who went to Damascus to persecute the followers of Jesus in that same city became a follower of Jesus. And it was there in Damascus that Paul preached his very first sermon. And do you know what he preached? You can read this for yourself in Acts 9.20. This was the totality of his sermon. He, Jesus, really is the Son of God. Jesus really is the Son of God. And when you live with full awareness of the degree to which Jesus has forgiven you for what you've done, it changes the way you love everyone else around you. And this was Paul's new reality. Paul was keenly aware of what he had done against Jesus, against the followers of Jesus. He was fully aware of his condition before Jesus. And so after meeting Jesus, the entire trajectory of his life changed and his posture towards every other person changed. And it was a posture of incredible love. And so when he writes to the church at Corinth, what he's trying to tell them is that this is at the center of everything that's going wrong among you. You've got to get back to this one truth, this one idea, this one game-changing note. You've got to learn to love different. You've got to learn to love each other the way Christ has loved you. And you cannot ever, ever forget what this love looks like. And let me tell you what this love looks like. He wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. This is what love looks like. You've been arguing about who has what power, what spiritual gift, what ability. But what you've forgotten is you all have access to the real power. This is the secret. The power you all have access to is love, and this is what love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love looks like this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love, love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. I don't know if you're accounting, but go back and check it yourself. In those four verses, Paul uses 15 verbs to talk about love. 15 action words. For Paul, love isn't just a feeling. Love isn't an attitude. For Paul, love is an activity. It's an action. It's something that is demonstrated. It is, it's something that's lived out. In fact, you could probably better translate this this way. Love is actively patient. Love does deeds of kindness. This is the way of love. It's, it's love in, in motion. And we get this how this works on, on just a relational level. If I were to tell my wife, I, I love you, but I never did anything for her, she would have real grounds to ask the question, do you really love me? When you don't lift a finger to do anything for me, 
Is that what love looks like? If I told my kids I love you, but I never show up to help with homework, I'm never there at their games, I don't help them in the morning or get ready for bed at night, do you really love me? Love, we know this, love is demonstrated, love is activated, love is lived out, love, real love is love in motion. And Paul says, this is what love should look like in the church. This, This is how you're supposed to love each other. So in other words, you can't love the church and not be patient with the church. You can't love the church and not be kind to those who are in the church. You can't love the church and be jealous of others within the church. You can't love the church and be boastful about how good you are within the church. You can't love the church and be filled with pride within the church. You can't love the church and be rude to others within the church. You can't love the church and demand that you get your own way within the church. You can't love the church and come every week and be irritable every minute you're here within the church. You can't love the church and keep a record of every time you think you've been wronged by the church. You can't love the church and rejoice at injustice within the church. You can't love the church and not rejoice when the truth is shared within the church. You can't love the church and give up on the church. You can't love the church and not have faith in the church. You can't love the church and not be hopeful for the church. You can't love the church and not endure with the church through every circumstance. Why? Because this is love. This is what love does. This is the activity of love. The key to to the unity of the church then and now is love. It's love in action this is what i think paul is trying to say that that this is what love looks like and paul could say this because he had experienced this love firsthand with jesus on the road to damascus life changed but it wasn't just that paul experienced this love every day in relationship with jesus Sometimes I think that, 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 that those of us who don't have this massive turnaround story where I was, I was headed you know, this way to death and destruction, then I met Jesus and I turned towards the light, we think we, we don't have a story to tell or a story to share. But the truth is, when you're in daily relationship with Jesus, that's where you experience this kind of love from Jesus. And when you experience this kind of love from Jesus, then it gives you the perspective to know, I've got to share this love i got to share the love I've experienced from Jesus with others so they they can know this this same kind of love. But it's hard to share a love you've yet to experience. Isn't it? It's hard to share a love you've yet to experience. And so it leads me to have to ask this question today. Have you? Have you experienced this kind of love from Jesus in your own heart and life? Have you experienced this kind of love from Jesus? A lot of you probably know the story of John Newton. John Newton was born in the 1700s. At a very early age, he was pressed into the service of the British Navy. And thereafter, he became 
highly involved in slave trade, in working on ships in different ways to, to literally bring people from Africa back to England to serve as slaves, the buying and selling of human beings, human trafficking before we even knew that that was a term for it. Ten years after he retired from that, wouldn't you know that John Newton was ordained as an Anglican priest? And in that role, he wrote over 280 hymns for his church. They said that people came from all over, and every week his church was packed with people who wanted to hear him preach. And through that time, his heart was changed because God was working on John Newton. And in 1772, he wrote a song that is sung all across the world. And you know the song, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that did what? That saved a wretch like me. You think John Newton was well aware of his condition before he met Jesus? Later in life, he wrote these words. He said, it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. This past week, on February 7th, I don't know if you knew this, was shine a light on Slavery Day. I, I know we'd like to think that slavery is a thing of the past, but according to the Global Slavery Index, today there are over 40 million people trapped in slavery around the world. Did you know that? And there are groups like the Indian Movement and other movements that are working to set people free today from slavery. And if it were up to you and me, if we were to cross paths with someone involved in human trafficking or the slave trade, a person like John Newton back in the day, you know what the truth is? At least for me, I'd have a real hard time extending love that person. But here's what's amazing. And Barry touched on it, and when you get it, it changes your heart. John Newton was not outside the reach of the love of God, despite his years spent in slave trade. Paul wasn't beyond the love of Christ, despite his time spent hunting down, capturing, and killing Christians. No one is outside the love and the reach of God's love. Just take one look at Jesus. They bring the woman that's caught in adultery right before him. And what does Jesus do? He, he loves her and he forgives her. Hey, he goes over and he finds a tax collector and he calls him to follow him and makes him a part of his inner circle, one of his 12. They bring to Jesus uh, the demon-possessed. And what does he do? He sets them free and gives them their life back. He takes the outcast. He takes the Samaritan woman. It doesn't matter who they bring to Jesus. What does Jesus do? Jesus loves every single one of them. And what does his love do for them? It changes their life every single time. If Jesus was a superhero, you know what his superpower would be? Love. Every time Jesus encounters someone 
who for you and me, we might have a hard time extending love. Jesus loves them, and his love changes their life because no one is beyond the reach of God's love, not even you. And some of you need to hear that again today. And you may say, oh, but if you knew what I did, or you knew what I'd done, you would know. You need to know. No one is outside the reach of God's love. Not even you. Despite whatever you've done, God's love for you is unchanging. There's nothing you could ever do to make God love you less. You you are not beyond the reach of God's love. Not even those, and I have to be careful here, not even those of you who have been hurt, you are not beyond the reach of God's love. And even those who have hurt you aren't beyond the reach of God's love. Because no one is beyond the reach of God's love. And anyone who comes to Jesus and has an encounter with his life-changing love walks away with their life changed. And now we have been called, we have been invited into this moment to take that love that we have received and experienced in Jesus and then to go and to share it with the world around us. And what was true and what is true for Jesus is true for you and me. You know what our superpower is? Love. Love is our superpower because love still changes lives. Love still heals wounds. Love still breaks down barriers. Love still works in the hearts and lives of those who are far from God to bring them back to God and to do things that we think are unimaginable. It's what, it's what the love of God is all about. But it takes courage to love. It takes courage to love. It takes courage to be patient and kind. It takes courage to not be jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It takes courage to not demand your own way, to not be irritable. You know what? It takes courage. It takes courage to keep no record of being wronged. It takes courage to not rejoice about injustice. And it takes courage to rejoice whenever the truth wins out. It takes courage to never give up, to never lose faith, to always be hopeful, and to endure through every circumstance. It takes courage to love. It takes courage to love. This is why Jesus is the bravest man who ever lived. Because he looked at the cross and he went to it willingly. He was willing to risk everything for you and for me. Why? Because of love. And it's the self-sacrifice love. The self-sacrificing love of Jesus that demonstrates to us what real love is all about. And Jesus showed us. You want to know what love looks like? Paul's going to say it over and over again. Just look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And so this week I want to invite you into, into two things. Once again, two ways of trying to put this love into action and into living 
this out. And the first is to pray a simple breath prayer. And if you're here last week and you learned it, and if not, I'll teach it to you today. It's, it's really simple. It's a prayer you can say in one breath. It's a prayer you can say over and over again. I would encourage you to take the card we're going to give you today and put it somewhere where you can see it or put it on your, your phone, on your lock screen, someplace where you'll see it a million times a day and pray it over and over again. But it's this simple prayer, but powerful prayer. Lord, help me love who you love the way you love. Can we say that again today together? Let's say it together. Lord, help me love who you love the way you love. The second step is this. And, and this, this, this is going to take a little effort on your part. I want to warn you. This is homework, and it's going to take effort. But I want to invite you to get with a trusted voice, a spiritual friend, someone who you trust and who you will allow to speak into your life with your defenses down. To maybe read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, this description of what love looks like. And ask them to, to tell you, hey, where, where do I do this well? And then the flip side, where, where am I missing it? Where are my blind spots? In what ways am I not maybe as loving as I want to be? And it's growing in our self-awareness. It's, that, that, that's how we grow into Knowing God and making him known. It's by allowing others to speak into us and encourage us. To tell us, hey, this is where you're, you're getting it right, and this is where you may not know this, but this is where you're not. And if we do that, then maybe, just maybe, we can learn to love different. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. As you stand, I'm going to ask some of our middle schoolers to be deployed across the room and they're going to be handing out uh, little cards for you with uh, the breath prayer on one side. On the back, a reminder of this next step. Uh, hopefully this week you can find time to get with a, a trusted voice and have a cup of coffee, have a conversation. Ask them to speak into your heart and to your life. Because our desire, all of our desire, I hope and I pray, is for us to grow to be more and more like Christ. I'm, al I'm also going to ask our shepherds and their wives to make themselves available around the room. I know this is true, that, that every week we have people in this room who need prayer and who want prayer. And you need to know our shepherds and their wives love nothing more than to pray with you. And they'll tell you they don't have all the answers, but they would love nothing more than to usher you into the presence of God and ask for his help. And so if you need prayer, as we, as we sing this last song, just make your way to one of our shepherding couples. They would love nothing more than to pray with you. That story about the man who was forgiven much, that was Paul's story, and he never forgot it. That's also my story, and that's also your story. And I think if we want to know what love looks like, and we want to show that to others, then it begins with us starting with this remembrance of just how much Jesus has forgiven us, of just how much Jesus has loved us. And when we walk around with that perspective, it changes the way we love others because we now know, oh, no matter who you are, no matter what you think, no matter where you live, no matter your set of values, your views, your lifestyle, your circumstance, Jesus loves you too. So I want to love you. I want to love who you love the way you love.
So I want to love those around me the way God loves them. And when we love that way, maybe just maybe the world will know we are disciples, followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Because there's something different about the way we love. It's the love of Christ. Let's sing.